Nachash was punished for having participated or for instigating the Chet of the Eitzadah. So he was punished by the Chet of the Eitzadah. So the Rabbi Yudhmer point out that we see from the Tosset that although HaKadosh Baruch wanted to punish him, but God punishes, he doesn't punish with such a terrible onish, an absolute onish. The Nochash got off easy. Wherever he goes, he'll always find food. Since he eats offer, so wherever he goes, there's a little bit of offer. So the commentaries find this leverage very difficult to understand. Doesn't turn out that Martin Luchaytay Niskar. Then it turns out, grinding, that because he sinned and because he was punished, and the nature of the punishment was that he doesn't need ice cream and he doesn't need the chicken inflation, he doesn't need delicious food, he just eats offer. But no, the Lord finds us together, has to work out food. So this comment, had comments on this issue. He said, when the man down, when the people pray, when they feel, when they sense that they're missing something, when they're hungry, when they need parnasa, when they need children, when they need a shiddha, whatever they're looking for, and they're missing, so then they, then they feel that they're missing something, and they pray, this is what's exactly the punishment of the nafas, that will never feel that he's missing anything. So he'll never feel the need to doubt about the Lord, so his life will be empty, he'll never have any tefillah. It's really a fortunate thing, it's a wonderful thing, and uh, because Rabbah creates us, like we decide in the Rabbah, in the Rabbah, burn the Prashat Rabbah, and the because Rabbah creates man with lacking certain things in life, we need a lot of things that we're missing, and because Rabbah creates us, and he creates all the things that we need to, to take care of our needs. So it's really a wonderful thing that we're missing things in life. So we sense this lack, we sense this issue, and we're prompted to pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In fact, the Gemara has such a comment regarding Sora, Rivke, and Rachel, who were unable to have children. What was their sin? Why were they punished? What was the terrible thing that they did that they should suffer? That they, for so many years they were unable to have children, and then they had a daughter, and that was the Talmud says that's exactly why. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mishabu, if you love some short tzaddikim, we don't know exactly what that means. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves and he appreciates when the tzaddikim daven. So he caused the imamos to be akoras, not to be able to have any children, in order that uh, they should have to daven. People only daven, people only have uh, the Indian of davening is only when man senses that he's lacking something. In fact, it's uh, there's a famous dispute between the Rambam and the Rambam, the Rambam is of the opinion that the obligation to daven is a biblical one. One is required to daven once a day, every day. He understands the Pasuk in Kriyashmata, we say, the author of the Cholulachem, and the Talmud says, what, what is that referring to? What is that way should be made? That's referring to daven, it's Philo. So the Rambam understands that there's a biblical obligation to daven once a day. The fact that we daven uh, three times a day, the fact that we have a specific text of davening, this is only the Rambam. Biblical obligation requires of us to daven once a day, every day. And the Ramban disagrees with the Ramban and he says he doesn't think that that's correct. The Talmud always says that all of the idea of davening is only in the Ramban. God listens to the prayers and he listens to the but the obligation of the end to daven is only in the Ramban. The only time one is obligated to daven in the according to the way he reads from the Kunish, this coming Sedra, is when man is the Torah. Man will be suffering and punished. And will have uh, terrible problems. But then the Torah says that the uh, man will turn to Hakadosh Baruch Hu and daven to him. Rabbi Meir said on several occasions 
that although the Rambam writes that the obligation to daven is, is a biblical obligation once a day, every day, doesn't mean that the Rambam disagrees with the Rambam. Could well be that the Rambam also agrees that the Nechayis to daven, the obligation to daven is when man is the eighth Torah. But whereas the Rambam, the Ramban understands that uh, the obligation to daven is only when the eighth Torah is a real problematic uh, Torah. Someone is completely sick, and someone uh, must have married a few children, a few years, and have no children, and mom should have no parnasa. So the Ramam's opinion is that the human situation is so fragile, we should all realize that we're always the eighth star. Even if we have, even if we are married, and we have children, and everybody's healthy, and everything, you have a parnasa, and everything is going well, we should realize that overnight things can change, and, uh, and uh, we won't have anything well. So this is. The Raman probably also does in the eighth Torah, but the eighth Torah is a subtle eighth Torah, not an obvious eighth Torah. We should realize that our situation is always one of eighth Torah. The rabbis of the Talmud have a comment on the Pasuk in Tehillim, Kirum Zulos Livnei Odon. So they comment on that Pasuk that Philo is such a serious matter from the Quran Mahomdi, Baruma Shalom, it's one of the most serious things uh, as far as. Uh, man's relationship with God, and when the other man usually resolves all the truth, they're not careful about it. That was exactly the interpretation of this great Hasidish event and this message, that the punishment of the Nafesh that he will not have the truth to doubt it. He'll never have the sense that he's missing anything, and he'll never bother to doubt it. And doubting is something that's very crucial for man. It's, it's marshalling uh, his humanity. The Pasek concealment speaks about people davening for different things on different occasions. So the Pasek says, although his power chachosimleis, and so chassidim, righteous people, should always daven kachachachachu to find what they're looking about, what they're looking for. What is that? The eighth so What exactly are they looking for? So the Talmud and Brachas has different understandings of the Pasek. So one suggestion is referring to a shidduch. Another suggestion is referring to Parnassah. Another suggestion is it's referring to death, that people have to daven, that they should uh, have a recovery to get death, have a pleasant death. One of the time, you know, so many people that don't have a pleasant death. The Talmud even has one suggestion, Ace Mitzvah refers to Kvura. Even if you die a, a pleasant death, so to speak, you have to pray to HaKadosh Baruch that you should have a pleasant burial. You have to pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for everything in life. The main essence of davening is that we should all realize that everything is controlled by HaKadosh Baruch Hu and nothing happens outside of His control. And as we say in the davening every day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has full control over everything in the world. And we should all be machnia ourselves, we should have a little humility not to be knackered to think that we have control over anything we should realize that Kashmir has full control over everything. It's interesting, Rabbi so pointed out that when the Rambam starts off in Chastrila, he writes what the din used to be in Torah, the obligation to daven, the biblical obligation to daven, and what the rabbis introduced to the Rabbana, what was changed in the later years. So the Rambam writes that in Torah, one is obligated to daven once a day, every day, in any form that he chooses, any, any language, any, any text that he wants to, and the Rabbana they introduced that you should daven three times a day, and this specific text of the, of the Shema Nesri as we say it today. So then the Rambam seems to add out another thing. 
In Hatorah, he's describing before the change of Ezra Asaka. Ezra is part of the Anshik Nesit when he introduced the idea of the Dabu three times a day in the specific text. So the Ramah quotes that as part of the Dabu in Hatorah, that we should Dabu Dabu Hamitosh facing the Beit Hamitosh. And the Ramah sounds like this is the Dinder Raisa. We know that this appears in the Sefer Malachim, which Lamah now built the first temple, so we have recorded the Trilah Shlomo, the prayer that he offered. So he said, he mentioned the three psukim in his Trilah, his power, Lachoderah, Abayis, and Zeh, that all the Jewish people should pray to God, facing the Beis Amigdus, and he said, his power, Lachoderah, Ha'irazos, they should down to Akashvobo, facing Yerushalayim. And the third time he says, his power, Lachoderah, Ha'atzim, they should pray to Akashvobo, facing Eretz Yisrael. Which is it? Are you supposed to face Eretz Yisrael? Are you supposed to face the Beis Amigdus? So the Talmud says it depends where you're located. If, you, if you're doubting in America, you should just, you should just, if you're doubting anywhere in Chutzlot, you should just face Eretz Yisrael and that's good enough. If you are doubting in Eretz Yisrael already, it doesn't make sense to face Eretz Yisrael, so you should face Yerushalayim. And if you're doubting in Yerushalayim, so it doesn't make sense to stay facing Yerushalayim, so then you should face the Yerushalayim. So basically the din is, and the Ramam understood that that passage that doesn't appear in Chum Shavu, that's the passage that appears in Sefer Malachi. In the Tfilah Shlomo, the Ramam understands that this is the din of Torah. The din of is that when you die, you have to face the Beis Amikdush because the Beis Amikdush is not only the Vakam Hakrobas Hakrobonas, but the Beis Amikdush is the Beis Amikdush Tfilah of Alam. The Beis Amikdush is the Vakam Tfilah, the place where we're supposed to die. It's the place the, where all of the prayers are accepted, but that's the office where all the prayers are accepted, so to speak. And if the person is in Yerushalayim, they should face the Beis Amikdush. If he's dying outside of Yerushalayim, it is sufficient. If he faces Yerushalayim, he doesn't have to face the Beis Amikdush because all of Yerushalayim has a lower level of Kedushas Beis Amikdush. We eat Kachim Kalim. We eat the Korban Pesach and all the other Kachim Kalim in any place in Yerushalayim. So you see that all of Yerushalayim has a lower level of Kedushas Beis Amikdush. If he faces Yerushalayim, that's considered facing the Beis Amikdush. If the person is davening in America or in Europe or anywhere else, it's not necessary for him to face the Beis Amikdush or Yerushalayim. If he faces Eretz Yisrael, that would also be sufficient because all of Eretz Yisrael has a lower level of Kedushas Beis Amikdush. We have certain halachas that apply in all of Eretz Yisrael because all of Eretz Yisrael has a lower level of Kedushas Amikdush. The question is, where do you see this in the Chumash? The Ramah writes this as if it were a biblical din, a din in the Torah. This is before the Chachamim instituted the Takam of the Rabbanon, the Dabin three times a day, the Dabin with a specific text. He said this was a din in the Torah. And then the rabbis introduced additional things. Where does it say this in the Chumash that there's an obligation to Dabin facing the Beit English? Where does this concept appear that the Beit English is basically extremely according to all of So Rashi pointed out that there is an interesting message that took in in the true time, the Turkey and the Shabbat and the Shabbat and the Shabbat puts in the, in the mouth of Moshe Rabbeinu the words of Shlomo Hamdallah. That Moshe Rabbeinu asks the Rabbanu Shalom, what do you mean? This is the Beis Hashem, the house of God. What do you mean? God doesn't have a body. God is, God is infinite. How, how are you going to, what does it mean that this is the house of God? He's Masha Hishkina in a location. What does it mean? That uh, a finite location will, will house Hakadosh Baruch Hu is infinite. That's what Shlomo Melech asks in his Tefillah. He says uh, the, the Shkina is all over. The Shkina doesn't can't be limited in any location. So how can it be that the, that I'm building a Beis Hamikdash? Shlomo Melech himself doesn't understand what the Beis Hamikdash is all about. And then Shlomo Melech gives the answer. In the Chumash, we don't have the question posed and we don't have the answer. 
the Medrash claims that Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Rabbanu Shalom the same question, which Shlomo Melech asked, and the answer was given, like Shlomo Melech said. What does Shlomo Melech explain what the need for a Beis Hamikdash? The main need is not so much to bring problems. The main need is to have a location to pray to God. Because the Prophet says, "This is my base Tefillah. This is the place to offer your prayers." The whole, the main purpose of the Beis Hamikdash is to have a place to offer prayers. If, if there will be Dever in Eretz Yisrael, there will be robbers, there will be a famine, people need Parnassus, people need If a private person needs something, if the Klausel needs something, whatever the needs will be, let the people come. Let everybody come to the Beis Hamikdash and let them offer their prayers to Hashem Baruch So the Rambam understood from this Medrash and from this Pesukim and Sefer Olachim. That this is a din Minasar, it's not just Hashem. Amalek was the one who instituted this din with the Rabbanon of davening Noah Hamikdash facing the Beis Hamikdash. No, this is the whole purpose of the of the Mishkan that looked by Moshe Rabbeinu. The Medrash says Moshe asked the same question that Shlomo Amalek asked, and the answer that the Rosh Hashanah gave was, you can't understand what it means that there's a specific Mokam or there's a specific Ashrat Hashkina, but Hanagel Yenayu, what's relevant to us is that we have a place to daven. It means the Rabbanon said that, that. That's the purpose of the Mishnah. That's the purpose of the Beis Hamikdash to have a special place uh, to daven. The Yonim of davening, I learned that by the Talmud from Chanah. The Gemara learned that that Chanah had no children. She was married so long. She had no children. She came to the Mishnah. She was she was davening. So we learn that all many of the Dinim of Tzila from uh, the Tzila of Chanah. Which were offered according to the tradition of her prayers, were answered on Rosh Hashanah. That's what the Talmud says it's so important uh, to daven on Rosh Hashanah. And we learn that also from Rachel the Bakal Chanah. Rachel is praying to the Rabban Shalom. She, she, there's no Jews living in Eretz Yisrael. She's praying to the Rabban Shalom that the Jews should come back. And the Rabban Shalom says that her prayers will be answered. It's important that you need a feeling not uh, specifically for men. The Talmud learns that a lot of our lives are feeling like she was a woman. Well, the Torah actually And the Talmud points out, and the Gemara and at all places, the Gemara points out that uh, the official place for offering the prayers is the Beit Hamikdash, and we all should follow Beit Hamikdash the day that the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed. Nina Bushari Tzibok, the gates of prayer are no longer open. In other words, Hakadosh Baruch does not listen to the prayers to the same extent that he did with Mansha Beit Hamikdash Ayikai. And to demonstrate that this is so, the rabbi quotes the passage from Megillah Seifa that says, Gam Yezek Mashaveya, Sasam Tzvilozi, even if we cry to Akash Baruch, when we pray our hearts out, the gates of prayer are closed, and uh, the Rabbi Shalom doesn't listen to prayers to the same extent that he did previously while the Beis Hamikdash was open, because, Ki Beisit Beis Tzvili Kari, the official location to all the prayers is the Beis Hamikdash. Talmud says there is an exception to the rule, and although Shari's people were closed, Shari's device learning out of the person uh, prays HaKadosh Baruch with strong feelings and he cries when he's done and that's time they turn down the faucet and he starts crying. Some people will start crying and they say, they have a time. He's really crying because he knows that the Yiddish folk know the same. That's the time he used to cry and he says, they have a time. So what is he crying about? So he said, never, the Parman is rotten. He thought that they burned the animal while they were alive. The Parman is rotten. <laughs> they didn't burn the animal while they were alive. There's nothing to cry about if it doesn't come. But there's nothing to cry when a person doesn't. If he realizes that there are real problems, 
there are personal problems and there are communal problems and there are total and world problems and if you realize that Akash Baruch is the Kol Yako, he has complete control over everything, so there is what to cry about. So the Gemara says, although the Shari field overflows, Shari the noise linen on what the person dies with his full heart, so then the prayers will be answered. And the Talmud points out that that's the union of blowing Shaykhra and Rosh Hashanah. There is a difference, the Ramam writes, there is a difference between blowing Shaykhra and Kippah Yaiva and blowing Shaykhra and Rosh Hashanah. You know, once every 50 years is a Jubilee year, the Yaiva, and the Mishnah points out that on Kippah and Yaiva, we daven the special Shmona Esri that we daven from Mutaf of Rosh Hashanah and Alphys of Rosh Hashanah, and we blow Shaykhra and Kippah and Yaiva, you don't have any Yaiva, that's why we never have it. But, uh, but the Mishnah says, Shabbat HaGreifel, the Rosh Hashanah, the Kiyah of the Prophets. He says, you blow the same Kiyah Shaykhah on your Kippah Shalgeifel as you do on Rosh Hashanah, and you say the same, Musa Tikkishman Esri Amal, he's a Chanis and Shaykhah. So the Ramam writes that you shouldn't make the mistake and think that it's the same idea of Kiyah Shaykhah. He says, no, it's not. The Kiyahs are the same Kiyah, true as Kiyah. The sounds are the same, but the idea behind it is very different. So the Ramam points out that the Kiyahs on Rosh Hashanah, Ramam and the Sefer Nitzvah points out that the Tzkiyas and Rosh Hashanah are a form of prayer, as opposed to the Tzkiyas and the Kibbush which are for the sake of announcing the freeing of the Avadim, the freeing of the slaves. It's a whole different din, and Rosh Hashanah pointed out, maybe differences, it could be that on, on Rosh Hashanah there's such a thing as a Baltakeh of laws for everybody, and everybody in the which is near Kahim. Could both be, would it be for the Chubas around them that on the Kibbush everybody has to blow on their own? Because the Baltakeya is not calling uh, as a form of davening that everybody should be able to be answered with Shemekah. Yeah? The mitzvah is to make noise. Everybody has to make noise. You can't be answered with someone else is making noise. Let's say on Purim, when, when there's a minute to clap uh, to make noise with the grag. So you have one person make the noise with the grag and everybody else will be answered with Shemekah. Yeah? You don't apply Shemekah into making noise. How come it applies to Tkiyah Shaykhah? So the answer is because Tkiyah Shaykhah on Rosh is a form of prayer. But the Ramah writes that Kiyah Shavar and Kippah Shal is not a form of prayer. Kiyah Shavar and Kippah is quoting from the Gemara. The Gemara says that. It's for the, the Psukim, it says like that. It's Kiyah. Abata Shavar Trova Halat. And the cross and draw words. It's for the sake of proclaiming freedom for the for the Abadah, that they should go free. So the Gemara uh, points out that the Kiyahs on Rosh Hashanah are a form of prayer, but it's specific to a higher form of prayer. The Gemara said that although the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and the regular prayers are no longer answered the same way it used to be, the Zmatsha Beit HaMikdash HaYekai, Sharit Filas Ninalo, the Sharit Ninalo, the gates of crying, the gates of tears, is the person who davens with Bechiyas, like Rachel, Rachel Mavaka Avanel, when she prays to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Rachel HaTzadek is crying, so those prayers will be answered even after the Purim Beit HaMikdash. So the rabbis understood in the Pesach, it says on Rosh Hashanah, we should blow Shaifer, Yom Teruah Yehidi Alachet. What does it mean, Yom Teruah? So the Talmud quotes from the Talmud is that the translation of the word Teruah is Yom Yavavah. What does that mean, Yavavah? So the rabbi of the Talmud points out that we have a passage in Shoftim that uses the term Yavavah in the sense of crying. So the rabbi understood that blowing Shaifer on Rosh Hashanah is totally different from blowing Shaifer on Yom Kippur. Blowing Shaifer on Yom Kippur is like uh, people making noise on, on New Year's Eve. They are going like going free and they're tooting their horn to demonstrate that uh, everybody's going free, going wild, everybody's free. And Rosh Hashanah, the blind shaykhah is totally different. It's not fakir, it's a form of crying. It's Yom Yom-Turua, and the Tarkmukhulas understand Yom-Turua means Yom Yom-Yabobah, to cry. It's the stronger form of prayer. 
Hashanah Rosh Hashanah because Rosh Hashanah is the Yom Adin. Rosh Hashanah is the Yom Adin. That's certainly an eighth Zara. Everybody agrees that field of the eighth Zara is certainly an obligation in Atara. If a person perceives that today is the Yom Adin, it's going to be judged for the for the whole year. So that's certainly an eighth Zara. There's certainly a strong obligation uh, to daven. The Medrash is quoted in Shulchan Why was Rosh Hashanah chosen? Why was it nixed by a Gadol to be the Yom Adin, the Day of Judgment? All of mankind were all determined because in the very beginning, in the Sheshis and Ebrations, when the Rosham created the world, so every day, the first day he created this, the second day he created that. So the Psukma say on the sixth day, he created Adam Arisha. And our tradition has it that the sixth day was Rosh Hashanah. When we say the world was created on Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't mean that Rosh Hashanah was the first day of the Sheshis and Ebrations. The first day was the 25th of Elul. And the sixth day, of the Sheshit's made gracious when Amrisha was created, that was Rosh Hashanah. So the Medrash quoted from Shulchan Aruch, the Pirkei of Lezer writes that on the same day that God created the Lord of and He commanded him not to eat from the Eitz The same day He couldn't control Himself and He sinned, and the same day He was judged and He was punished. That Hashem chased out of God. Hashem told him the judge that Hashem chased out of God. Hashem judged and sinned on this day. Hashem Hashem at the very beginning was determined what He tried to do not to sin. As a Yom Adin. Certainly is an eighth star. His life and his whole parnas and his happiness and his health and the health of all the children and everything is going to be determined on that day. So as an eighth star, there's certainly an obligation to daven. The higher form, if there are two forms of davening, a plain form of davening is davening with the chiyas, davening with the moyes. And so you have to daven the higher form of davening. In fact, uh, this year the first day of Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos. The Mishnah tells us when Rosh Hashanah falls on our Shabbos, we do not blow shofar. So the Talmud Bavli comes to the conclusion that the reason why we don't blow shofar is the Gzair and the Rabbana, because we're afraid that somebody may forget and carry the shofar from the streets in a, loca- in a location where there is no air. So Chilol Shabbos is so homework, it's such a serious problem. We would recommend that nobody should blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah, should only use the Shabbos. Let one or two people, let the few people who be Mahal Shabbos to shake it. What's going to happen? How can be Mahal Shabbos to make it? We're afraid that someone will carry what is no area. We feel Shabbos is so common, so uh, so serious that we would, the rabbi said, we would prefer that no one blow shaykh at all, lest people make this mistake. This is the way the Talmud Bavli explains the din in the Mishnah. That's something in the rabbi. And the Mishnah says, but in the Beit Hamikdash, even when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos, there you don't have to be afraid that anyone will be Mechal Shabbos. The Beit Hamikdash, out of covered of the Shechina, there's a special Ashurah Shechina. There's so many Rabbanim there. You have the Sanhedrin, the body with the seventy-one big Rabbanim, the whole, all the biggest Rabbanim in, in the world are meeting in the Beit Hamikdash. So, because of the Yiras, uh, that's how it really says in Talmud, not so much out of the Moira of the Beit HaMikdash they won't sin, but rather out of the Moira from the Rabbanim, they won't sin. That's why the Talmud says that even after the Temple was destroyed, and the Sanhedrin moved to Yavne, and they moved to other villages, in the north and the Galil, they still were permitted to blow Shoefer, when Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbos in the presence of the Rabbanim. Why? Because not so much out of Moira from the Mikdash that will, be, that will hold them back from making a mistake, being Mahal Shabbos, but rather the rabbis felt out of respect for the rabbis in the presence of so many big rabbis, the Sanhedrin and Dada, the 71 biggest rabbis of the Jewish people, so that will uh, be Mahalik the people and then they won't be Mahal Shabbos, they won't make a mistake. So this is the explanation that's given by the Talmud Babu. But the Talmud Yushami's explanation is the one that we 
follow the Maisha. In the Shulchan Aruch, we follow the practice of Talmud Yerushalmi, that when we dive in on Rosh Hashanah, so when Rosh Hashanah falls out on a weekday, we refer to the day as Yom Truah, the day on which we blow Shavu. When Rosh Hashanah falls on Hashanah, we refer to the day as a different Truah, the day on which we talk about Kiyah Shavu. Different means Mahalikir, to talk about Kiyah. We don't actually blow Shavu, we talk about Kiyah. So the Talmud, this is this distinction that when Rosh Hashanah falls on Hashanah, you mentioned, you describe the day as a different Truah. Hashanah falls out on a weekday, we describe the day as a young Shua, this appears in the Masechah Sofer. The Masechah Sofer records all of the practices, all of the opinions of the Yerushalmi. It's all based on practices from Eretz Yisrael, which often, which often differ from those that were practiced in, in Bogo. So the Mephoshim explains, the Talmud Yerushalmi has a whole different interpretation of the Mishnah. The Talmud Yerushalmi's understanding of the Mishnah was that this is a biblical day. That when Rosh Hashanah falls on Hashanah, you don't go shofar anywhere. Not that it's a malacha. There's no biblical prohibition involved in blowing a shofar. It's not like playing a piano. The Gemara says that it's only forbidden with the Rabbanan. It's not, it doesn't correspond to any of the malachas. It's only forbidden with the Rabbanan to play music. So the prohibition against blowing shofar on any given shofar is under the dome with the Rabbanan. So why does the Talmud Yerushalmi understand the psukim as saying that when Rosh Hashanah falls on Hashanah, you don't blow shofar? What's the avera? What's the malacha? So the interpretation seems to be that the Rasulvechik was uh, fond of explaining that uh, there's a special din on Shabbos. We have to be careful the way we speak. We have to speak Shalom Hey, before Hashal Shabbos, before Hashal Chol. The Navi Yeshaya says we have to be careful. Not to speak the same on Shabbos as we do on the weekdays. And the rabbis of the Talmud understood that to mean no speech of the Talmud, not time to waste the whole day schmoozing for the Talmud. And even if one is davening, so what can be there without davening? So the rabbis of the Talmud understood that it's not proper to offer tchinis on Shabbat and on Yom Both on Shabbat and Yom it's not proper to offer any, any tchinis. And Shabbat is more so than Yom We're even more maxing on Shabbat than we are on Yom regarding the tchinis. So the Talmud, Yerushalmi understands that when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, the Kumish describes the day not as a young true, the day on which we actually blow Shafer, but rather as a different true, the day on which we don't blow Shafer, because on Shabbos it's not proper to offer Tchinus. And blood Shafer is a form of crying, that's the higher form of Tfilah, that's the Tfilah with the Demois. As the Talmud says, we have Shafar de Tamitash, although the Shari Tfilah was in but the Shari Demois below Dinalo. So if a person prays to Akkadish Rokul and he's crying as he's praying, this is Mamisha Tchina. So Tchinas are not proper, it's not a Malachat, but it's not proper to offer Tchinas on, on Shabbos, on a regular Rosh Hashanah, which is on a weekday. So the prohibition against Tchinas is less severe than on a Shabbos. Uh, that's why, take for example, uh, in many shuls and many kids, it's not a universal meaning, but many shuls and many kids that when the Quran is built in, on Yantav, so the Tzibur offers a long tefillah that's printed in the Siddur, a long Rabbani Shalom. And when Yantav falls out on Shabbos, when the Quran is Dukhim, so in most communities, I think, the minigas that give it, that you delete the Rabbani Shalom. Why? Because it's not proper to offer Tzinus on Shabbos. Either it's not proper to offer Tzinus on Yantav either. How can you say the Rabbani Shalom on Yantav? So the answer is, we are more medactic, we are more machmer regarding this, this uh, idea of not reciting any Tzinus. On Shabbos, then we are on Yom We don't allow Tzinus not on Shabbos, not on Yom but Shabbos is even more common than on Yom So the whole institution of Ki, of ki Ashaifer is one big, it's a form of prayer with, uh, with the with tears. 
So that's what the Talmud and Shalmi understand, that on Shabbos, because of the restriction, because of the limitation of Dalit Dover, it's not proper to blow Shurfer on, on, on Rosh Hashanah Shabbos and Shabbos, unless you're in the Beit HaMikdosh. How do we explain that? If it's a biblical dinner, you don't blow Shurfer on Rosh Hashanah Shabbos and Shabbos, why is it different than the Beit HaMikdosh? The answer is because the Beit HaMikdosh is basically the Beit HaMikdosh. The Mokham of the Mikdush is not only the place of Akronic Karbonus, the place of the Beit HaMikdush is the, is the Mokham of all Philos. That's why I point to the Talmud Mishnah. This is a biblical distinction. This is the meaning of the Psalm. That's the way we dive in. Rashad told that on Shabbos we refer to the day with the biblical term, Azichan Shur, the day on which we speak about Kiyah Shaykh. But we don't actually blow Shaykh outside the Beit HaMikdush. In the Beit HaMikdush we would blow Shaykh even when Rosh Hashanah told that on Shabbos. But the Beit HaMikdush is, is the Rokham Tzibo, that there we allow people even to offer Tzibos on Shabbos. We blow much more than the rabbis required of us. We blow much, and the rabbis consider blowing much more sharper than the Torah required. We have a minig, it's a very old minig from centuries ago, that says this reports on the Oroch, that we blow meyakolos, we blow a hundred kolos. We blow kiyah, shvart, and shuot kiyah three times, we blow kiyah, shvart, kiyah three times, Kiyot Chuot here three times, and we blow this set three times before Musa, and then the middle of Musa, and then after Musa, and then we blow another ten kiyot in the end. Add up to a hundred kilos. What's the idea of blowing some of Shaykh? What do you gain? Well, you're here already. What do you, what do you add by adding what kiyot? So the answer is the Talmud speaks of the significance of Ribuit Tfilo. If a person has a problem, if somebody has a, the student has a problem, and he comes to me, and he asks me to take care of it, okay, I'll see what I can do. Then if he's going to test me, he's going to call me up on the phone every day, five times a day, I for sure won't take care of it. I'll do this. I'll do this. He's not trying to do it. But the Rebbe told us, by him is not so. We see a better chance of having the great answer if we test to him. He's going to listen all the time. He listens to everybody's prayer. And the Talmud understood this in the in the Hunish. Take, for example, the famous passage in the beginning of Yeshaya uh, that we read on Shabbos Chazan. Even if you'll be married with Tfilah, even if you're dying a lot and a lot, I won't listen to the prayers because you're a bunch of murderers. But the Rebbe Shalom told Yeshaya to seek it. Even if you're dying a lot and a lot, I won't listen to the prayers because you're a bunch of murderers. Time of the Holy Vice Visha, there were so many Russians, there were so many murderers. He didn't know, and the Russian says that Philip won't be answered. Or in the Homish, it says, I'll tell the doctor I lie out, but over on that, Moshe Rabbein was praying and praying in front of the marriage, he offered over 500 Philip that he wanted to enter Eretz Yisrael. So the Russian says, I'll tell the doctor I lie, don't keep on praying for the same thing, this time it's not going to work. But between, in between the lines, you see this idea that the Russian taught him. And you see it in various museums. The Talmud points out various passages from the museum. That when we offer, when we repeat the same tribo, many times we say the better In fact, the Talmud says this is what the Hila is all about. What is it? I'm kippling over like a prayer of Nehila. What is Nehila saying? I'm kippling the Kedavani. So the Mishnah says no. Nehila was not only offered as a prayer on Yom Kippur, it was offered on any kind of tribo. That is the only time of that we have to speak of is Yom HaKippur. Any time of Sifa is Bobo, so it's Mitishim of Yom Kippur. So by us, it only makes sense to offer the Tzvila on Yom Kippur. But in principle, Ne'ilah was a prayer that was offered on any time. But any time there's an Eitz Torah, 
So the Talmud Yerushalmi explains that if you offer an additional prayer, if you ask for the same thing an extra time, you stand a better chance of having your prayers answered. So that's what I, that's what I understand. The Nehr Kernels are all about on Rosh Hashanah. We blow way more than the Torah required, way more than what the rabbis required of us, because there isn't an interview between us. It's Kiyah Shafer is the form of Fima. And the more we pray, the better we stand the chance of having the prayers answered. The minute candidate on Yom Kippur, we recite Bibli ten times. The same Bibli Hashanah Bagadu ten times. What do you say ten times? Some people feel, well, the first time maybe they didn't have full kavanah, the second time they'll have better kavanah, the third time they'll have even more kavanah. That's one good point. When an arrogant kipper were about to go eat the Sudan of Sex, we don't have so much kavanah when we say we do it. But without an incident before the Sudan of Sex. Then later, young kipper, we just were full. You don't have also so much kavanah. As the young kipper goes on, maybe you have more kavanah. But aside from that explanation, there's another explanation. This idea of reboot fever. A person shouldn't feel that he's being a nutnik and pestering the Rabbani Shalom to ask for the same thing so many times. No, the Rabbani Shalom told us to do this. And the Mishnah tells us in Pirkei Yavis, Marga Nechosim, Marga Doga. The more a person has, the more he has to worry about. I have nine children and I have a whole bunch of grandchildren. So I have more to worry about than other people only have uh, two or three children. And each child is different. So I have to pray, this child should have a... This one is expecting a baby, this one just had a baby, this one is that's uh, to her, 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 her doctorate, her doctor was in, but each child has another thought. And the other one has to, has to fit in in this yeshiva, the other one's in a different yeshiva. Each one is somewhere else, each one has another sort. So the, the, the more a person has, the more the person has to die for. And the person shouldn't feel as if he's a nutnik and it doesn't make him the same thing at all. Every when we die three times a day, we should offer, we should eat tea. The Mishnah says it's not proper if a person only says the text of the Shmonesa. The Mishnah says every person should have it on his own things at the end of the Shmonesa to have something unique. So the more, that's why I say I love Shmonesa. I have my children, a lot of ranch, I have a lot of <laughs> But that's the Mishnah says that the one is obligated to do that. One should always add on to the people. Many times we ask for the wrong thing. Many times we pray to everybody, show them that we want to succeed in uh, this sale. Or I want to get into this graduate school. Or a boy is polishing to marry that girl. Or uh, whatever. Whatever person has his heart set on, that's what he doctor wants. So very often we pray for the wrong thing. If I'll go to that graduate school, that'll destroy me. If I'll marry that girl, she'll destroy me. That'll be terrible for me. The doctor, I have to marry a different girl and go to a different field, not into that field. So at the end of the davening, when we offer our prayers to the Rabbani Shalala, so we say in Shemakha Aleinu, that HaKadosh Baruch should only accept those prayers that make sense. We say, Kalo Berachim Mubarasa Nesfilosein. You should only, he should only accept those, you should have Rahmanus on that, and only accept those prayers that we offer that make sense, whatever doesn't make any sense, edit it out, leave it out, delete it. Don't listen to those prayers. On Rosh Hashanah, we offer such a prayer also. That's what the Tzkiya Shoshim is all about, it's a prayer without any words. Just crying. The Kiyah Shreifah is a form of the Kiyah, of crying. And we cry our heart out that the Rabbani Shalom should take care of all of our needs. He knows better than us what, what we need. He knows, he often knows what the needs are, he often knows what the correct solutions are. Even if we know what the need is, we don't always uh, appreciate, we don't always realize what the correct solution is. So we really have to work on ourselves, on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, but all year long. 
I mentioned earlier the Talmud comments on the Pasik in Tehillim, Kirub Zulas Lubnayodam, that the Tvil is something which is really it's really a need that mankind has, and without davening, a person's life will be incomplete. And it's a schia when a person realizes that he's missing something. Some people realize only that they're missing in Gashmir, they're missing Parnasa, they're missing in good health, they're missing children, grandchildren, whatever. Other people are a little more intelligent than they realize that they're missing things in Ruchnis as well. And the more we realize that they're missing, but the more we have an Indian to Dhamma Takajbaku. And the whole Indian of Dhamming is that we should recognize, we shouldn't think that we're such crackers, that we are in control of anything. We should recognize that we're in full control. We have to daven for the Tarak and for the needs of the uh, all of mankind, for the needs of Khalisra, for the needs of Medina Sisra, the Sakana, for the needs of all of the individual members of the Khalisra. Good with this year, everybody. I see you back in the table. Just get that secure. We should all try to train ourselves to dive a little more this year than the previous.